Parshas Shoftim, learning the lessons. In this week's Sedra, we read a story about a man who went into the forest to gather firewood. I imagine it was the wintertime, and he needed more wood for the fireplace. Maybe his wife had sent him out to get wood for the stove, so she could prepare supper. Whatever it was, this loyal father and husband was now hacking away at a tree in a forest. And then, something terrible occurred. As he was swinging the axe, Vinoshel habarzel min the iron head of the axe ricocheted off the tree and careened off into the woods and loalenu. Nit gedacht, it struck and killed a fellow Jew who was standing nearby. Now, our protagonist did this without any premeditation, of course. I didn't intend anything wrong, he said. It went flying on its own. I didn't even know he was standing there behind the tree. And still, even though it was done unintentionally, the Torah calls him a rotzeach, a murderer. It's no excuse, HaKadosh Baruch says. Just like you came into the forest to chop wood, you should have considered that maybe other people were also there. You should have thought about that beforehand and secured the axe head to the handle before taking a swing. You should have looked around, too, to check if anyone was standing nearby. So what happens now? The Torah says about him, V'nas el achat min he'arim ha'el. He has to flee to one of the cities of refuge. He must run to one of the Ari Miklat in order to be safe from the vengeance of the Goel Hadom, who wishes to avenge the blood of his relative. And he'll live there, sometimes for many years, in order to achieve a kapara for his sin. So let's imagine the scene as the Gamarn Makos portrays it. The murderer is heading now to the Ir Miklat. And he's in a rush, too, because he has to steer clear of the Goel Adam, who might be pursuing him. He's making his way through the back roads and byways, trying to find his way to the city of refuge. And then he comes to a fork in the road. Which way should he go? To the left or to the right? There's no time to waste. Fortunately for him, there's a sign there at the fork. Ir Miklat, with an arrow pointing him in the right direction. That's what the Gemara tells us. Many of the roads were especially marked with signs posted Miklat, Miklat, showing the Ratzayach which direction he should run. The Gemara there quotes a Pasuk. Yorech ataim baderech. Hashem shows the sinners the road. He leads them on the path to salvation. At every fork in the road, in every place where the Ratzayach might get lost, there were guideposts helping him make his way to the safety of the Ir Miklat. And what happened? When he finally arrived there, the cities of refuge weren't ordinary places. They were Are Levim. They were Torah communities. It means that Hashem is guiding him into the city where he will live among Torah teachers. I imagine there were lecturers in that place, places of Musr. And the purpose was that he should learn to be sorry for what he did. In that city, he's going to learn the importance of constantly being sorry that he cut off the life of a Yisroel. You know, when people are ignorant, when they didn't learn Torah, so they don't have any feelings of charata for the wrong things that they do, for the damage that they cause, they say, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't intend to do it. And that's all. They think they're scot-free now. They're off the hook. But a Baruch Hu says, that's amaratzis. It's plain ignorance. 
study Torah, and you'll see what it means to be responsible. And that's one of the most important lessons that the Rotseach learns when he arrives at the Ir Miklat. That's what is meant by the Pasuk. Yorech hataim baderech. Hashem shows the sinners the road. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly leading this sinner to salvation. First, he's showing him the path to the city. And once he gets there, he's being guided by the Levim, who will teach him the right way. That's also included in Yorech HaToyim Baderech. Now, the Gemara tells us there that we shouldn't think this din is one-off. And a special rule that applies only to someone who kills B'Shoi cake. Oh no, says our sages. Yorech HaToyim Baderech is a fundamental principle of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world that applies to all of us. Not just someone who murdered unintentionally in one way or another. We're all Chatoim, and therefore we're being guided towards our salvation all the time by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Only the too often we don't notice. Here's a man who has an institution. It's a yeshiva or a Beis Yankov. And he ridicules all the rules of safety that are done in other places. A fire drill is a joke to him. The exit sign over a door is a joke to him. It's all goyesha things. And his building becomes a fire trap. What does a Kadosh Baruch Hu do? He's yoyrech atoyim baderech. He causes a fire to come somewhere else. And people who have to be taken out of this world anyhow are burned up. And he expects this Menahel to see this sign on the road and take the right turn. I remember many years ago, there was the Coconut Grove fire in Boston. It was a great tragedy. The Coconut Grove was a big nightclub and it was jammed with people, mostly Jews, by the way. A big fire broke out and there was a pandemonium, a stampede, and hundreds were killed, burned and killed. I remember it well. I lived in Massachusetts then, and the newspapers were full of it. Now, a tragedy like that is not meant to be merely a curiosity, a news item that comes and goes. Hashem is trying to teach you something. He expects you to take a lesson from that tragedy. Now, there were a number of lessons there, of course. One is that nightclubs are not a place for Jews to be. It's a good lesson. Another lesson is it was Friday night. Friday night, you're certainly not supposed to be in a nightclub. Another lesson is, Jews have to eat kosher. They don't serve kosher in that place. Many lessons Hashem was teaching. But among the lessons, the most important one was that you have to watch out for fire precautions. Yoide, Hashem is teaching, Chatoim Baderech, the sinners who don't think about what could happen because of their negligence. Hashem wants you to learn to be more careful with safety precautions, not just when you're chopping wood in the forest. In modern times, too. In that club, there were exit doors that were locked and other hazards, and many changes were made because of this story, many new regulations. If the Goyim in Boston can learn these lessons, surely we have to. Now, I must tell you, there are very many people who never learned that lesson. A woman lights the nearest Shabbos, and she hurries to put on the big day Shabbos and leaves little children playing around in the room where the neiros are burning. A terrible hate. There's a man who wants all his little children to be Mekayim near Hanukkah. Each person should have his own neir. So he takes his little boys and little girls and he gives them menorahs. Here, a Hanukkah menorah for you and for you. For you too. 
And they're all standing and lighting the Hanukkah menorahs. And this big tzaddik walks out of the room. He's a Rosh Gummer. He's a Rosh Gummer. He has to stand over them and watch them. I remember a story. Someone was building a yeshiva. And the building inspector came. So he bribed him that he shouldn't bother him too much with safety rules. With building codes. Yes, it's a bother. Very expensive. So it happens that there was an exit, a fire exit, and he didn't bother to put up a sign. Fire exit. You know what happened. Some boys from out of town were there at the dormitory at the time. They were newcomers to the dormitory, and there was a fire. They didn't know where to run, and they were burned up. Did anyone blame that Menahel? Oh, no. He's a tzaddik gummer. Well, others might think so. But the truth is, he's a choyte gummer. Do you think only someone who goes into the woods to chop wood can be called a murderer by the Torah? I'm sorry to say this, but I think that Menahel is even more guilty than the woodchopper. You were warned. You had an inspection, but you chose to ignore it. Hashem was teaching you in Coconut Grove. Why didn't you see? Of course. Hashem is teaching us many, many things. We'll talk about some of them soon. But one of the most important lessons Hashem is teaching us is how careful we must be with the life of a Jew. We'll say it's Belaz in the spoken tongue so that there's no misunderstanding. Safety first. There's nothing more precious in the world than a Jew. And it has to be guarded with the utmost care. To guard yourself, to guard your children, your friends, your fellow Jews. People are careless with their lives and other people's lives because they think that nothing could happen. It only happens to other people. You know that this is an instinct in human beings, just as they lived until now when nothing happened, so they think it's going to continue. Just like you ran across the street or dove recklessly and nothing happened. So that's how it will be. Always. Oh no! Chas v'shalom! Chas v'shalom! Suddenly, it happens. So whenever we hear an accident, we should never let that opportunity go by. If you see a Meshugana who walks across the middle of the street and a car hits him, everybody runs to see. He's lying in the street and ambulances are coming with their sirens. One of the purposes is to teach the Fruma, the Oiv de Hashem, don't do that. Don't be careless. Don't be a choyte. We're expected to utilize that lesson because it's sent, mina shamayim, for us to be more careful. And therefore, you have to keep your eyes open and make it a policy of yours to learn from experience. I say experience, but really it's Hashem teaching you. And that's a very important principle. Whatever news you get, whatever you hear, and you're hearing all the time, it should enter your ears. Somebody crossing the street was hit by a car. A child drowned in a pool. A grandchild was visiting his grandparents and he fell out of the window because there were no safety guards. When you hear these things, it should enter your heart like an arrow and make it a principle. Hashem is trying to wake me up to rescue me from my chatoim, my negligence. From now on, I'm going to watch out for that thing. Now it's important to understand that this Torah principle of Hashem guides the wicked on the path to salvation is by no means limited to learning the lesson of v'nishmartem, of being careful when you go chop wood, or when you build a yeshiva dormitory, or when you cross the street.
Chazal are teaching us that Yoyre Chatoim Baderech is a fundamental principle for how Hashem teaches us to live life successfully. We say, Sim Shalom in our tefillah. We ask Hashem every day a few times, Please give us Shalom. What does Shalom mean? Does it mean you're a millionaire? Does it mean you have ten servants in your house and a limousine with three chauffeurs? Does it mean you make airplane flights back and forth across the Atlantic to Edith Israel for family simchas? Or you go on a Caribbean cruise? No. Shalom means that you're not in trouble. Everything is quiet. No ambulances came to your house this week. No fire engines. Your daughter is not calling you in the middle of the night to tell you that she's having trouble with her husband. That's Shalom. There's no war. There's no invasion of foreign armies coming in. No airplanes dropping bombs on you. That's what Shalom is. Now, because these words fall flat on the ears of most people, so in a certain sense, we're chataim. We're sinning against Hashem by ignoring our good fortune. And Hashem wants to be yoyre chataim baderech. He wants to guide us on the right path. So what does he do? He makes trouble, let's say, in Africa, in the Congo. In Africa, entire tribes are massacring each other. In Bangladesh and Vietnam, the brown people are trying to destroy each other. Or in China, the nationalists and the communists are fighting against each other. All these phenomena shouldn't be lost upon us. And one of the purposes is to make us think about our good fortune. Suppose we lived there, in the Congo. What suffering we would undergo. People are constantly in terror, in commotion. Their lives are ruined. How many of them have been destroyed? How many of them have been maimed, orphaned, widowed, made into refugees? And all the attendant ills of war, epidemics, famine. It's such a tragedy. And it's a tragedy that shouldn't be ignored by us. It's one of the ways that Hashem is and expects us to utilize these stories in order to be full of joy about the shalom that we have. Baruch atah Hashem hamivarech et amo Yisrael b'shalom. If we see that in certain countries, there are wars. Those wars are being waged only for our benefit. That's the way we have to read the newspaper. If you read them at all, that's the way to read them. I'm telling you now a fundamental interpretation of current events. Whatever happens in the world, we know according to the teachings of the Torah, happens because of us. It's for a purpose of chastising us and making us become better. Now, some Jews are humble and self-effacing, and it seems to them exaggerated to say that world history is only for them. They're willing to admit that it's also for them. If they're pious Jews, they'll admit that some of it is for them. But the Gemara in Yavamas tells us, there is no misfortune that occurs in the world unless for the sake of Yisrael. It'll take a long time for this to percolate into our thick skulls, but that's what we're here for. Even a skull, if you soak it for a long time in a liquid, it'll soak through. I want to tell you something that you might find surprising, but I think it's true. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made this little war in Iraq now for the purpose that we should appreciate Shalom. 
All kinds of excuses are given why this happened, and I'm not the one to interpret it. I'm too small to give such a parish on the Maise Yadov, Shel HaKadosh Baruch But one thing we can be certain about, those poor soldiers who got their orders, and now they're boarding big military planes that are transporting them to the front. It's to teach us the blessings of peace. The poor soldiers are in a tumult now. I saw headlines in the newspapers as I passed by the newsstand. American soldiers are writing their wills. They're very much frightened. A healthy 18-year-old who writes a will doesn't do it because he thinks he'll live till 120. He's frightened. We can't blame them. Suppose one of us, Chas V'Shalom, had to go into battle against the enemy. We would be much more frightened. We would be hugging the rear helm, hoping that the battle would be finished before we get to the front where the bullets are flying. Don't think that it's good times when bullets are whizzing overhead. Don't believe the propaganda in the storybooks and magazines. They'll be creeping around in the desert and enemy forces will be shooting at them. There's no fun when bullets are flying. In the army, when bullets are flying, that's when a man begins to appreciate Shalom. Suppose that soldier could suddenly be transported to New York. It's humid and hot and there's no excitement. And he would be walking down the street, sweating. He has no money in his pocket. He has no job. But he'd be deliriously happy because he has Shalom. It's peace. No constant buzzing of bullets all around him. No men screaming in pain. The constant fear of death without a let up. Just plain shalom. Nothing else. That's his heart's desire. The transfer from the battlefront to walking down that hot street without any money in his pocket would make him deliriously happy. Ooh, shalom. And that's what we should feel at all times. That's how we should feel when we're walking down the street on a hot day with nothing going our way except for Shalom. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I want to teach my children to stop sinning and start being happy with your life. And how does he teach us? One way is by showing us the soldiers. They're trembling in their pants. And just because of that, we are enjoying. I don't say we're enjoying their situation. We sympathize with them. But we're enjoying what we have. We're supposed to do that. We're expected to appreciate Shalom. Right now, there's quiet outside. You don't need anything better than that. Nobody is shooting bullets at you. No pogroms. That's Shalom. Now try to go outside today and to convince somebody that he should be happy with the regular routine of life. That's what Shalom is, after all. And he'll look at you like you fell off the moon. No, he says. I want some fun. I think I should get in my car and travel someplace. The happiness of Shalom is not good enough for him. And that's because he's ignoring the path that Hashem is constantly showing him. It's a great pity that people don't understand that. Do you know what a luxury it is to go to sleep in peace? In many places in the world, they cannot sleep in peace. They go to sleep worried that someone will be shooting at a machine gun through the window in the middle of the night. Or that... Their refugee camp will be overrun by murderous mobs before the sun comes up. Anything can happen. Even in Russia, you wouldn't be machine gunned in your home, but in the middle of the night, two o'clock at night, that's their favorite time. There's a wild knocking on your door. NKVD here. 
open up. And they wake you up and ask you for your passport. I once saw it. It wasn't NKVD. It was the Lithuanian police. Once in the middle of the night, some yeshiva men were dorming together in an apartment. And they came pounding on the door with fists and shouting, open up. You have got to get up in your underwear and pajamas and open up. Police! And the police were standing there, very angry. That's how police in Europe are. It's not like in America. In America, the police are terrified. I know a man who was walking on Church Avenue one night, coming home from the yeshiva. And when he saw two policemen walking, he said to them, You know, when I see you, I feel confident. So they said, We don't. That's two of them. But these Lithuanian police were cruel. Where's your passport? You have to show your passport. You're not permitted to be anywhere without it. Even at home, you have to have a passport. And this was in Lithuania, where there was justice. Lithuania was a decent country. You couldn't harm a Jew in Lithuania. But still, you couldn't sleep in peace. They had a right to barge into your home in the middle of the night and wake you up. But tonight, none of you here will have to worry about that. When you go to sleep in America, you know that nobody is going to wake you up. You can sleep in peace. Bands of soldiers are not roaming the streets. Drunken bums are not banging on your door. Nobody will bother you. Maybe if you're fortunate enough to be a mother of small children, you might get woken up. But pretty much, you're sleeping in peace. Maybe some people are worried. So you put an extra lock. Of course, today, you must secure your windows at night because the liberals have wreaked havoc upon us. But let's say you have enough bars on your windows and your doors are locked then you go to sleep in peace. We're not afraid that somebody will shoot bullets through our window, that they'll burn down the house, that all of a sudden at night, there'll be an invasion. To be able to put your head on your pillow without any fear and to fall asleep peacefully is a very great bracha. Sleeping peacefully is a precious commodity. If you just came here to learn that, it's worthwhile. If we could lie down on our beds in peace and get up in the morning after a good night's sleep, you know what a happiness that is. We don't even think twice about it. But for the one who pays attention to the signs that Hashem is showing him, the sign of what Chaz V'Sholem could be, he thinks about it twice and three times, and he never stops thinking about it. And he lives a life of happiness. Now we can't go away from the subject of Yorich HaToyim Baderech, of Hashem showing us the way back to him without talking about the troubles that Hashem sometimes sends upon us in our own personal lives. Of course, we would prefer that there should never be any trouble. We're not interested in mishaps and difficulties. We should always live in clover. We should be reclining in the grass under the fig trees, eating ice cream all of our lives. That's what we'd like most. But then... When would we remember HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You would never think about him. If everything went smoothly always, you can be sure that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would never be in your thoughts. And so, Yoyrech HaToyim Baderech. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is kind enough to send Yisurim once in a while as signposts to direct our thoughts towards him. And that brings us to a Gemara in Mesechta Erechen. The question is raised there. Ad heichan tachlis yisurim. How far is the limit of yisurim? It means, what would be the minimum visitation from heaven, the smallest possible form of yisurim that Hashem sends upon a man to teach him lessons? 
Now, of course, if a man is lying on the operating table, there's no question that he's getting a very big message from heaven. When he's being strapped down and they're putting the ether cone over his face, he has to know that Hashem is telling him something. Even then, some people, even Orthodox Jews, aren't aware. It just happened that way, they think. It turned out that I have a weak heart. He doesn't connect it with HaKadosh Baruch Hu at all. We're not talking about that. We're talking about intelligent servants of Hashem who know that Hashem is Yoyre Chatoim. He shows us the way in life. And they react to big signs. The question is, how far is a man expected to go? How far should he go in interpreting the events of his life as messages from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's what the Gemara in Erechin is telling us. The sages are looking for the smallest possible thing that can be called a sign on the road, so that we should know that when some small inconvenience happens in our life, we shouldn't let it go by. It's a golden opportunity, a matana mina shamayim, to help you out. And therefore it pays, the Gemara is saying, to know how far to take this. Now the Gemara there has a lot of answers for that. Different Chachamim responded in different ways. And because they're all valuable to us, so we'll take them one at a time. First comes the great sage, Rabbi Elazar. And he says like this, Let's say a man ordered a new jacket from a tailor, and finally the day comes when it's ready. And so he puts it on for the first time, and something bothers him. He's not sure what. It keeps him warm. It fits him. The color is right. But it doesn't satisfy him. That minimal dissatisfaction, says Rabbi Elazar, is already called Yisurim. It's a message, Mishamayim. Comes along a different Chacham, Rabzeda, and he asks Akasha, does it have to be such a big misfortune like that to be called Yisurim? After all, a garment, you don't make it every day. To get a new jacket is a special occasion, and if it didn't please him, that can't be the smallest signpost that Hashem will show a person. Anybody would take that as a message. You hear that? He says that anybody would notice that. Even a dumbbell has to react to that. Rav Zera says a bigger chiddush. Even smaller inconveniences are messages from heaven. If a person wanted his wine mixed with warm water, and by error they mixed it with cold water, that's called a misfortune. It's a more common occurrence. Your tea is not exactly the way you expected. That man has to know that he's being guided on a certain path by Hashem. Mar Breid Ravina gives another example. He says that sometimes a person is putting on his undershirt and he happens to put it on inside out. Now he's going to have to go through the trouble of taking it off and putting it on again. Such an inconvenience should be considered a message from Hashem. And then, a Abraisa gives a different example. If he put his hand in his pocket to take out a quarter, and out came a nickel, that's a misfortune. He has both in his pocket. He'll be able to reach in now again and get the right coin. But the wrong one came out the first time. That's suffering. It's a form of Yusurim. Now we must take this seriously, because our sages are teaching us that even the most minimal disturbance in our lives is one of the ways Hashem speaks to a person. It's like Hashem has spoken with a voice into his ear. I'm the one who made your tea a bit too hot. I'm the one who pulled a nickel out of your pocket instead of the quarter that you wanted. And it's because I'm a moire derech. I want to teach you which path to take in life. 
And he expects you to listen. He expects a response. It's too extreme. It's too much to expect. Nothing is too much to expect. If we accept the principle that Hashem desires to show people the way. Let's take a little incident that happens to us all the time. You picked up your keys from the table to put them in your pocket, but you fumbled and they fell on the floor. Now suppose you're past 40. When people are past 40, they try to avoid bending over as much as they can. But what can you do? You have to pick up the keys. The first thing that should flash in your mind is, why did it happen? It didn't happen yesterday. It didn't happen the day before yesterday. Every time I successfully held on to the keys and put them in my pocket. Today, I fumbled. Hashem is teaching me something. After you pick up your keys, think about that. So many times, day after day, I was successful at picking up my keys. Take a look at your hands and marvel at the arrangement of your joints on your fingers. They're so arranged that picking up keys is a simple task. Thank you, Hashem, that my fingers function so effortlessly, so smoothly, that I never even notice them. Kama la chali, vela margish gavro de marasaye. How much a man doesn't feel that a college who is helping him constantly? Every step in his life, things are being made easy and comfortable for him. And therefore, that one discomfort should be a reminder of the millions, not thousands, millions of occasions in his life when it did not take place. Now, isn't that a big chiddush? That's the first teshuva. Whenever HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends you a mishap, do teshuva for your ingratitude of not noticing it until today. Let's say you're washing dishes in the kitchen. Now you're a careful balabuster. And you're a penny saver too. But it happens, you dropped a dish. A dish broke. Oi! A dish broke in my kitchen. And you start considering. The Gemara says in Eirichen, you have to think about it. A broken dish. Maybe I broke somebody's happiness. Did I say something wrong to my husband? If you're thinking a lum dish away, You'll say that's why your dish is broke and you're accomplishing something like a scholar. You're thinking, Mida, can I get Mida? Why not? That's an Oyved Hashem, a person of Das. But even before that, the first thing you should think is, how is it that so many dishes I've been washing for months and months and I haven't broken a dish? Maybe it hasn't happened in years. Isn't that something to think about? Shouldn't I be grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all those days that I did not fumble? For all those dishes that I didn't break? Another example. You want to untie your shoestrings and you're in a hurry and you find a knot in the laces. Now you have to spend five minutes trying to untie it. Now, if you're a loyal Jew, so you'll stop and say, such a thing doesn't happen to me every day. It's lesson, minashamayim. So you start thinking, maybe I have a knot in my midas. A mida connected mida. That's why my shoes got knotted up. Now, if that's your conclusion from the knot in your shoestring, it's a very important conclusion. It's not silly at all, Shalom. But even before we go that far, the first thing to think is why is it that never before, let's say in the last 20 days, in the last 30 days, did it ever happen that you had a knot in your shoestring? Why only today? It's to remind you of the hundreds of times that you untied your shoes easily. 
successfully. You hear that big chiddish? The one time that you have a knot was to tell you about hundreds of times you did not have a knot. Shouldn't you be grateful for all the times you didn't have knots in your shoestrings? Now you might think that's a very small achievement. To look for an Avera, that's a real thing you think. But you must realize that you're missing a very important point. Because the biggest of all of our sins is not when we do something against the Torah. No. The biggest of all of our sins is the failure to recognize what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing for us all the time. The daily success that He gives us. The biggest knot in your Midas is when you fail to notice the good fortune that causes our lives to continue in the regular unbroken routine without accidents, without misfortunes. Sometimes a speck of dust gets stuck into your eye. What's that about? It's very uncomfortable. A little jolt like that means that Hashem is giving us guidance in life, that we should enjoy our eyes, and we should thank Him every day from the bottom of our hearts. The purpose was that you should say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Pokeach Ivrim. I thank you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for opening up my eyes. It's such a blessing, day after day, week after week. Your eyes continue to function. The eye is such a delicate instrument, such a perfect camera. When you study the eye, you're amazed that it works at all. It's so complicated. Such a complicated mechanism could easily, Khalila go into disorder. But rarely does it cause you any trouble. And therefore, sometimes a little reminder flies into your eye to remind you. Don't think it's an accident. That's what the Gemara is telling us. It's the Yoyrech HaToyim Baderech. It's HaKadosh Baruch Hu showing you the way, the path to perfection. That's how an intellectual servant of Hashem should react. When something, a small thing happens in life, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving a tiny little poke in the ribs. Wake up! And therefore, that's the whole sugya in Arichin. You know the Chachamim, these are great men. They had tremendous things to think about. Their minds were elevated more than we can imagine. And they wouldn't bother their minds with puny problems. A nickel instead of a quarter. A tea that's not to my taste. Such little things. Oh no! Nothing is little when it's Hashem talking. These are very big things. And that's why they discussed it. This sage says this. And this sage says something else. And a third sage. And a fourth one. And Rav Ashi put it into the Gemara. It's because our sages understood that Hashem is He's always trying to make us better. He's guiding us to perfection. Now all this, if you'll get busy practicing this lesson, it's one of the best ways to go into a new year. To recognize all the good that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is supplying you always. That's Teshuvah number one. And so, when we see something happened, the first thing is to remember the lesson in our parsha that Hashem is baderech. He's always showing us the path back to Him. And the first step on the path is when we use all of these little mishaps as a spur to look back and to appreciate all the days that nothing at all happened to us. That's our first teshuva. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Reading the signs. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the author of everything that happens in this world, big and small. He is constantly providing us with signs in order to guide us to perfection. This week, I will believe to keep my eyes open for these signs on the road. At least once every day, I will make sure to pay close attention to a signpost that is guiding me in one of the three ways mentioned in this booklet. Number one, signs that are warning me to be more careful with my safety and the safety of those around me. Number two, signs that are teaching me to appreciate the gift of shalom in my life. Number three, little bumps on the road that are reminding me of the myriad amount of things that go smoothly on the road of life.